on radio, streaming live on investtalk.com, and for our podcast subscribers. This is Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. And now, KPP Financial President, Financial Advisor Steve Peasley. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888-992-4278. Okay, let's go to Jerry in Pittsburgh. Hi, Jerry. Hey, how do you decide, or is it appropriate to, like, if you have, in my particular 401k, you know, they give you so many large uh-huh, cap, uh-huh. mid cap, whatever, and you stick with the one fund you're in, or do you use the 200-day moving average? When do you decide to get in and out okay. of a fund? Very good question. How do you decide to invest into your 401k, and when do you move stuff around? Very good questions. About every six months, you should probably look at your 401k and make some adjustments based on what you think is going to happen in the market or call this show. Yeah, that's fine. But how to invest, the smartest and best way to do it, and the easiest way for you to do it is dollar cost average in. It works over time. Dollar cost average means you invest once a month or every paycheck a certain amount and you split it up consistently the same way every time. When the market goes down, and in actuality, when you're dollar cost averaging, you would want the market to go down. That doesn't sound right, does it? But you do. Because as the market goes down, you're buying more and more shares of the mutual funds that you're going to be in. The market never goes down forever. Never has. Since the Great Depression, it has not gone down forever. So if you bought all the way down during this recent 2000, 2001, 2002, you kept buying a dollar cost averaging in, you would have made a lot of money in 2003, wouldn't have you? Mine you went up. <laughs> you would have made up most of the money. Right. Because you had more and more shares at lower and lower prices. You were driving your price of the shares down over that period of time. What is the biggest danger for people who dollar cost average is they stop dollar cost averaging when the market goes down and then they start up again when the market goes up. That means you're paying higher prices and when you can get it at lower prices, you stop buying it. That makes no sense. So you got to be able to weather the storm of the market, whatever storm that is, and keep doing it. Okay. Okay. Jack in Concord. How are you doing, I'm, Jack? I'm doing good. And you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. I have a question. I'm seeing my uh, financial advisor in about a week. Now, I've been seeing this guy for several years. He doesn't charge. Um, and what he does is he advises, hoping that when you do retire, you'll invest your, your money with him, mm-hmm. um, and he'll manage your retirement account. Yes. So, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the things, I'm getting pretty close to retirement now, and I, one of the things that um, kind of struck me, been listening to you, is what sort of questions should I be asking this fellow around how he manages the money or what sort of investments does he invest in to get a sense of whether or not it's a good deal. Very good question, Jack. Appreciate that. Well, besides asking for one, three, and five-year performance, because you need to ask that, what's your performance? And then you compare that performance with the overall market. At the very least, he needs to be matching the market. He actually should outperform if he's going to get paid. And that's net after his fees. So you'll want to see those numbers. 
He should be able to talk to him. Then what you want to do is say, well, uh, if he's putting you in stocks, you want to see what his stock picks are. And then take a list of them with you and then see how they've done in the last one, three years. Okay? All right. And then you want to ask him like questions like, what kind of risk does he take? How much money, percentage-wise, in my portfolio would you buy in any one stock? If he says he'll buy 10, 15, 20%, he's a very high risk player. Very okay. It should be 3%, around 3%. It could be 4, it could be 5, it could be 2, but around 3%. And you might want to ask him, well, what does he think of the international market? If he's not too keen on international market, uh, that tells me that he's not looking at the future. He's not looking All forward. Right. Just ask the question, what do you think about the rest of the world, the international market? Will we be taking advantage of that? Do you take advantage of that? How, and how do you do it? Ask those kinds of questions. Oh, great. And if you want more detailed information, Jack, you can email me at investtalk.com, and I'll give you a list of questions you should ask. And these are the questions that people should ask me. All so, right. I appreciate it. Okay, Jack. Appreciate the call. All right, thanks a lot. Good luck. I'd love to manage your money, too. So, you know, I'll, I'll answer the same questions. <laughs> Jack, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. And you can get through right now. to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 C H A R T and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99 chart is our number everybody you can reach us. We have lines open 888-992-4278. Let's go to Ralph and Poway. How you doing Ralph? Hi Steve, thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, I have a, a very simple question. I've I've made my little pile of money. I'm 63 years old and about to retire. And what I want to do is I want to make sure that that pile of money doesn't disappear in 30 years. Okay? okay. I want it to last me 30 years. Okay. Now, I need a plan to accomplish that, and I need your help. Okay. I'll listen to your answer. You know, when you have a lump of money, and this is the money you need to protect and you want it to produce income for you and for forever, basically, until you die... And that's what Ralph is talking about. I got this money, this pile of money. I need it to produce an income. How can I do that? Well, the more income it produces means the more risk you're taking, meaning they can go down too. There's some calculators out there called retirement calculators, and you can plug in how much interest you're making on that pile of money and how much it produces for you without ever running out. We have an income program at our uh, KPP Financial Income. Now, I tell people, expect 5 to 8% return and you probably will never run out of money. Why do I say probably? Because I, there's no guarantee. The higher the yield, the more chances you take. But you can plug in 5 6% into the retirement calculator and figure that's about a pretty fairly conservative number. And if you invest it properly and not take too much risk, buy some bonds, hold on to maturity, buy some high dividend paying stock, you can produce that kind of money fairly consistently, okay, and never run out of the principal. The principal will never run out. So uh, that's what you do, Ralph. You go to those retirement calculators, plug in some numbers, and they'll tell you how much money you have, 250000 What interest rate do you want to plug in? Well, plug in 
And then you need to manage the money to give you that 5%. You can't do that with CDs or money market. That's not going to work. So anyways, and if you want to talk about it further, just give me a call at the office. I'll tell you all about how we do it. You know, I don't mind sharing that information. Wilma and Whittier, how you doing, Wilma? Thank you for calling. Um, I have a question. Sure. I've, I've asked so many people, but I don't know what, what to do. Okay. I'm 61. I've been a widow for about 11 years. I'm sorry. And my husband, <laughs> thanks. And my husband had left his 401k, he used to work for Xerox. Yes. And um, I have about 240000 at Dean Widder. Okay. Next year, I want to retire. Okay. And I've lived in an apartment all my life, but okay. I want to buy me a little condo because the rent keeps going up and up and up. Right. And I was wondering, is it wise to ask for fifty or 60000 at one point and then invest it and get me a little place? And how old are you, 61? 61. And you want to retire at 62? Yes. Uh, is there in? Do you have any other assets? Well, I no. Just what I get is Social Security next year and um, my retirement from work. Can I ask about how much that how much that is a month? Well, that would probably come to seventeen hundred. I'm a little concerned of spending too much money. Whatever you buy, mm -hmm. you shouldn't use more than thirty or forty percent of that seventeen hundred on a monthly mortgage. In retirement, you really should not have a mortgage. Mm -hmm. And it depends on how much. You have 240000 nest egg, mm -hmm. and you're going to get 1700 I don't want to use all that 240000 I really shouldn't. You mm -hmm. shouldn't. You're going to need some emergency money. Yeah. Uh, therefore, whatever you buy, at the very least, you should not be using all your retirement monthly payment to pay for that mortgage. It should be less than half. Because mm -hmm. you want to have some freedom. You're going to get an opportunity to buy some things at very good discounts here the next year or two. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be tough for you to purchase something that's going to give you enough freedom on a monthly basis to have enough money. Could I take out more money then? Than mm -hmm. 50000 Yeah. Well, what you need to do is figure out how much you're going to pay for the place and mm -hmm. how much is your mortgage going to be. Yeah. And include taxes, property tax in there. Yeah. And then remember, there also is that monthly association fees. And then there's the heating, electrical, all those other things. Exactly. So you got to figure out all that cost and then determine it. Okay, so it would be better if I get me another apartment. Uh, at this <laughs> stage, I would say the chances are very good. Depending on how much you're going to pay for that condo, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Property okay. values are still going to come down, by the way. So don't get it, be in a big rush. Yeah. No, I, like I said, I have another year so. Yeah. Okay. And well, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Good luck. Helps me a lot. Thank you. Okay. Good luck. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program, but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Jay Clark calling from Chicago again. Just had a question about commodities in general. You see the gold mini shares. You see the gold directions, the, the three-time leverage, you know, all type of different types of commodity holdings. Just wanted you to explain, you know, the differences between those different type of commodity holdings and what they mean to us as investors. I um, hope to hear it on the show. Thank you. All right, well, commodities can be 
broken up in a lot of different ways. You have your energy commodities, right? Your oil, coal, natural gas. You have your soft commodities. You're talking about sugar, grain, corn, etc. You also have your precious metal commodities, your gold, your silver, your platinum, etc. So they all have very different use cases, very different properties, and they act very different in their price action in the marketplace. When you have a tough economic environment like right now, you're going to see the energy commodities do much worse and the precious metal commodities do much better. Now, you can invest in ETFs that track particular prices of those different commodities or a basket of commodities. That's one way to gain access. You can also own the individual companies who mine, produce those type of commodities. right? Or you can buy an ETF that owns a lot of the companies and you get broad diversification like a GDX owns a bunch of gold miners or you can invest in ETFs that are leveraged and then that is a speculative vehicle of to, to help capitalize on the movement of the underlying commodity or the shares of the companies who produce that underlying commodity. So all of them have different risk factors. Uh, I think the, the lowest risk is going to be the actual commodity because it's a direct link. A little bit higher risk would be investing in directly in the companies that produce them. There's a little more leverage typically to those prices, right? Where gold miners, for example, typically have a two and a half to three times the overall volatility of gold prices. So if gold prices do well, you're probably going to do much better in individual gold mining names. But you have to pick the right ones as well. So if you don't have the expertise to understand which ones to pick, then you want to buy an overall ETF and you get broad diversification. If you have a very strong conviction, you could buy a leverage ETF to the shares or the underlying gold price or commodity price, whatever you're looking at, and use it as a trade. But you wouldn't want to own those and hold them long term. Hope that helps. Let's go to Suraj. How are you doing, Suraj, in Fremont? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for calling. I have 401k question. Sure. Um, generally, I reach a maximum limit by August, September time period every year. So is there any other options available where we can invest our pre-tax money? Pre-tax money. You know, there's only the 401k. If you max out that, you're kind of stuck. If you do that, then you can't open up an IRA. You can't put up a Roth. You can't do anything. You're stuck. You put it, you max it out in your retirement 401k. You can put less in the 401k and open up an IRA, but as long as you don't make too much money salary-wise. But no, Siraj, you're kind of stuck when you max out your 401k. Unless you're self-employed. Are you self-employed? No, I work for a company. Okay. See, if you're self-employed, you can set up a different kind of retirement plan. But if you work for a company, you're kind of stuck. Sorry, Siraj. All right. Thank Thank you. you. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience. We're here to answer your questions. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99CHART is our number, 888 992 4278. Serena in Napa Valley, how you doing? Or in Napa, how you doing, Serena? Hi, I'm a younger person. 
Okay. I recently worked at a job where they offered me um, the benefit of having a 401k plan and company stock. Great. Um, however, I've um, left that company in order to pursue higher income so I could support myself a little better. Oh, that's always a good thing. Yes. And now I have these teeny little balances, and I'm not sure if it would be uh, beneficial to me to keep it, roll it over, get a check, or what I should do. Do not get a check, okay, because okay. then you'll have to pay taxes on it immediately. And you probably got a higher paying job, so you might be in a higher higher tax bracket. You don't definitely don't want to pay taxes on it. When you say teeny, are you talking about under a thousand dollars? Yes, I've got about five hundred in four hundred one k and about three hundred in the company stock. Okay, the company stock is that in the four hundred one k? Looks like it. If it's inside the four hundred one k, I would probably sell those stock, and I'd roll that four hundred one k into an IRA. Okay. It's very simple to do. You can go to a bank, you can go to Schwab, you can go to Fidelity, you can go to almost any one of those and say, hey, I have a 401k, I'd like to roll into an IRA, and they'll, they'll go out of their way to help you. Does it cost anything to do that? Free. Well, let me rephrase that. Sometimes the 401k people charge like 30 bucks or 50 bucks, but most of them do not. It's generally free. Okay. Okay. Then when it's in the IRA, you can put it in a money market. You can buy a mutual fund with it. You can add to it up to $4,000 a year. And if you're young, and you do sound young, it would be yes. wise to add to it. Does the new company offer 401k? Um, no, not yet. Okay. So then I'd roll it into an IRA, move it out from where it is today, and just you can go to the bank and put it there if you wanted to. Okay. You know, use CDs. But don't take it. Because, you know, this is your retirement. You're going to build it over the years to come. Okay, perfect. Okay. Thank Thanks you for, for calling. Help. Thank Bye. you. Hi, guys. This is Kent in Arlington, Texas. I was calling to ask you all a general question about conference calls. Do you all listen to conference calls? And if you do, what do you listen for? Do you listen to the CFO or the CEO? Or do you pay much attention to the questions the analysts are asking and, and their responses to their questions? Y'all give me a little info on that. Thank you, my friends. God bless you. Bye-bye. I really don't listen to I, – I don't listen to them. It's rare that I'll listen to a conference call. I will every so often if it's a company that I'm very interested in and things are happening. And I wonder what the questions are going to be and how the CEO or CFO answers the question. The reason why I don't like listening to them because it's nothing but a show. They're going to show or talk about how great things are with their company. And I don't like the analysts – the analysts are kind of part of the show. Seldom do they ask hard questions, really seldom. So if I know that they're going to ask hard questions, then I'd be more interested in listening to them. I'm talking about hard questions like, well, how come you lost money last year? And your, your excuse that you lost money is because competition was tough, but isn't that your job to compete? You know, tough questions instead of... Well, you know, that's nice. Uh, it's 20% growth. Are you sure you're going to be able to get it? Yeah, it's soft. I don't like that. That's why I don't listen to it. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial. Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing. 
where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Al from Reston, Virginia. An inverted yield curve is supposed to indicate an upcoming recession. We all know that a recession is coming if we're not already in one. So my question is, why isn't the yield curve inverted? Is that because possibly uh, due to all of the intervention by the Fed? Or exactly what is it telling us? Uh, Is it possible that because it's not inverted, it's telling us that the recession is going to be short? Really be interested in any thoughts you may have on that. Thank you. Well, he's correct that typically an inverted yield curve does signal a a recession. Now, most most people look at the two 10-year spread, and I believe it was flat, maybe briefly negative uh, late last year. And with rates so low, it's hard for it to really get inverted. And certain other parts of the yield curve were inverted. Uh, And now it's starting to widen out. But what you have to understand is that's a process of going into a recession. Go back to 2007. We inverted in 2006, and it started to actually widen out in 2007, going into the recession in 2008, uh, where we, you know, the yield curve was steepening out uh, in 2007 and 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 eight and nine. So, the inverted yield curve happened a couple of years before the recession. Same with uh, in 2000, or sorry, 90, 98, right? 98 it inverted, and we didn't go to recession until 2000. Same with 1990, inverted in 89, and we didn't go to recession until I believe it was 9091. So often that inverted yield curve is an indicator of a future recession, a year, two years out. And when it steepens out, that just means you're going straight into that recession. So uh, make sure you understand the lead time there with the inverted yield curve. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You can get through right now. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life 
that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Okay, 888 99CHART is our number. We're going to go to Art and Milipitas. Hey, I was listening to you about the best time to invest for the time of the year. Yes. I got a retirement, uh, but I got about 20000 in a reserve, just money market. Okay. To invest that now, I'm pretty flexible about taking the risk in a straight dividend fund. Okay. Uh, would it be conservative or into a moderate allocation fund? I would do it in a moderate allocation. You're retired? Right. You don't want to take a lot of risk on this stock, this uh, with this money. This I got two moderate allocation funds. That okay. Five-star funds, but I tended to sway toward the dividends because... They pay you monthly income. Oh, yeah. I love those dividends, Art. <laughs> That's what I really enjoyed about listening to your expertise in reference to dividends. People, dividends make up a large part of the return on a portfolio. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore the dividends. But, Art, what do you want to do with this twenty grand? Well, the question being, Steve, moderate allocation doesn't give me a monthly dividend check. No. I kind of like the idea on a tax basis, in a taxable account, this reserve 20000 I have. Mm-hmm. If I take it in a dividend fund and it pays out monthly, I'm at a reduced tax rate on the mm-hmm. income that I have coming out. You know, Art, all I can suggest is just get it invested. Exactly. If I had an emergency, if I needed anything, I got about seventy-five grand in taxable accounts. Oh, see, if I needed an emergency, I could get out at any time. Yeah, anytime. I'm not restricted on staying in. I definitely put that money to work. I enjoy your expertise, Steve. You do a Thanks. great job. Art, I appreciate your calls. You guys make the show. I just enjoy it. That's all. I think you do outstanding. Thanks, Art. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Dave from Indiana. I have about two-thirds of my retirement sitting in cash right now, and I want to get back into the market at some point. It's still within a 401k, so I'll have to go back into mutual funds. How do I get back in considering the uh, volatility right now? Do I just dollar cost average in, and do I need to wait for a certain event before I uh, start? And also, is this something that your active 401k program would uh, help out with? I appreciate your time, and I love your show. Thanks. 
the answer is yes. I think Active 401k would be a great choice for that to figure out when to uh, to get in uh, to the market and which funds in your options, fund options, are going to be the best for the particular market environment because it ranks the funds based on uh, cost, right? The underlying expense ratio, the market trends, the relative performance to peers within that particular group of the market, uh, as well as your risk tolerance. So all those things are very important when making those decisions and active 401k would be the best choice. Absolutely. So head over to investtalk.com, click on investment programs, and then active 401k and you can see the subscription options. 888-992-4278. We're going to go talk to AZ and Van Nuys. Hi, AZ. How's it going? All right. I'm good. trying to come up with questions for you. When the news comes, good or bad, mm-hmm. is any statistic um, for effective news on the stock? Let's say when it get upgraded, it usually goes up 12%. When you get, uh, get a contract, it goes up that much. Yes. That's pretty typical. Also, when it gets downgraded, it'll go down. Some of these upgrades and downgrades really have nothing that, you know, they really don't mean a lot. They really don't because these guys are wrong a lot, these ex quote-unquote experts. But it does affect the top stock in the short term, yes. Where do I find this statistic? Any site, any places you think they might have that as a statistic? Where the statistic is how much something goes up or down? Or yeah. But AZ is referring to everybody, when they upgrade or downgrade the stock, it might go up that one day or down that one day, but it doesn't re- recovers some of that. Correct, it, correct. Now, the question is, where do I, is it any statistic on library, universities, anywhere? They have this kind of effect of the news on a stock, of what percentage goes up and down on what news? I've never seen anything or read anything, anybody tracking those statistics. But, AZ, it wouldn't surprise me if someone did. That's what I'm trying to do. (laughs) I've never, you know, and I do a lot of reading and studying this stuff, and I've never seen anybody report on, you know, what the movement is the one day, two days, five days, ten days after the announcement, you know. So I don't have any place that you can go that I know of, AZ. You see, when I when I be completed after a year, then I write a book and I make some money. There you go. That's what <laughs> you do. Tell me also what's the earning per share we're talking about. What it really means? Okay, you know, a company sells products. After they pay all the expenses, and then what's left over is they divide that money by the number of shares outstanding, and then you get an earnings per share number. So it's what they actually made. They do it earnings per share. I made 20 cents per share. They do it that way because it's the only way that makes sense. If a company says I made $10 billion, is that a lot of money or not a lot of money? Based on the share, I got you. This is what they made in one year you're talking about? No, it's usually earnings per share. They will. When I talk to people, it's going to make like $3 next year earnings per share. That's for the whole year. But they always report it a quarter by quarter. So when you say they divide it by how many shares they have, they divide the income for quarter or they divide the income for a year? Well, usually when the earnings come out every quarter. Oh, quarter. Okay, they, they're talking about quarter. Okay, you got yeah. you. But right, when, good when enough you, for today. Thanks, Tracy. You can I go home it. if you want. I finish. Oh, okay, great. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Melody in San Diego. How you doing, Melody? Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling. Good. Thanks for taking my call. 
I was calling uh, today because my husband stopped to Ameritrade and a broker there gave him some information about these new ETFs. They're called um, TDAX Independence 2040 ETF. And apparently it's, uh, you've heard of those mutual funds that have the target date. Yeah, but I don't. this is an ETF that has that. Yeah. You what do you my... think of those? Yeah. Uh... I do not like a melody. Let me tell you why. Okay. It's the target date that bothers me. Okay, so let's say you're going to retire in 2040, and that's when you want to have that money. That's okay. I don't have a problem with you retiring at 2040 or 2020, whatever. But when you buy an investment that targets that time, the way they package these investments together is... If it's way out there, like 2040, they start first by investing in stocks, which is a proper thing to do. Sure. Okay? But what happens is time goes by, they get more conservative. And I don't even mind more conservative. I don't. But what I do mind is their conception of conservative is to put you in bonds. And they automatically put you in more and more percentage of bonds or bond type issues as you approach the date 2040. Now, what they're doing is completely ignoring the reality of what's going on in the market at the time. Sure. So what could be, it could be the absolute worst time to be investing in more and more bonds, and yet that's exactly what they're doing because it's on automatic pilot. Okay. It's just going to do it. That really is my only complaint about these things. Okay. But that's why I don't like them. Okay. You could do it yourself by saying, okay, well, we know if it's 2040, we know we're all in stocks now. Five years from now, 10 years from now, well, maybe I'll get a little bit more conservative. Then you can look at the realm of of the investment environment out there and say, but this is not a good time or this is a great time to be buying bonds. So let me buy more bonds than I would normally. Sure. You see? So then you you can actually adjust it to the reality instead of being an automatic pilot. This is what they're really doing, Melanie, okay? They're saying if they put this 2040 date on it, that you're just going to leave it there until 2040. <laughs> sure. And never touch it, and they love you for that because then they never have to think about trying to keep you as a client. It's almost like an annuity then at that point. Exactly. Huh. They love it because it holds you in. It's a great marketing idea, not so great investment idea. Okay. Okay, Okay. great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Melanie. I appreciate the call. Um, Now let's go to Michael and Glendora. I want to ask you, how important is book value? Book value is pretty darn important. You know, if you go to the Bible of value investing called The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, it's in paperback right now, is written in the 30s and 40s and republished many times. Benjamin Graham, which is the grandfather of value investing, says that you should never buy a stock that's over book value. Now, it's almost impossible to find one in this day and age. But in his time, book value was the way you evaluated stocks. You wanted to buy a stock that was less than book value. And for everybody else, book value means if you took all the assets, took all the liabilities of a company, you paid off all the liabilities and you had what was left, that's book value. And you want it to be below one. Therefore, you would still get money for your stock. Right. Okay? In a very simplistic terms, that's what that means. Right now, we don't like to see too many multiples time book value. Okay, thank you. 888-99-CHART. That's our number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Sean in San Diego. How are you doing, Sean? Hi, guys. Uh, great show. Great show. Thank you. Hey, listen, I had a question. Um, currently, I'm an MBA student, and I'm thinking about writing my thesis over companies that uh, utilize 
yeah, value-based management, uh, more specifically economic value-added uh, management techniques. Okay. In, in terms of investing, should one look at specifically at companies that use the model in their management? Well, when you look at a company, you look at all the uh, ratios, okay? And that's going to give you the basis of whether the company is making money and how much money is it making on its assets. Okay. Return on assets, return on equity. The ratios between sales growth, earnings growth, and the price of the stock, all those things. If you're looking at the stock price in relationship to the company itself, that's probably different than what you're going to do your thesis on. Okay. What you're doing your thesis on is the fundamental management of the company and how good it is. Yes, and it'd be more of the long-term benefit. I really don't see a short-term benefit as far as the stock price because it already takes in consideration the, the right. cash flows. Yes, right. The stock price will reflect all those ratios that you'll be looking at. You want to look at the efficiency of the company, its efficient use of its assets or its cash or its equity. Okay, great. Okay, so you want to look at return on assets and return on equity. Those are the two things you want to look for as far as good management of that company. Okay, so that would be the term, the accounting profit, not specifically the economic profit. Of That's the right. Great. Sean, appreciate the call. Thank good you, luck sir. with that. I do appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Congratulations on the NBA. hope it works out for you and you, you make tons of money in the future. Thank you. I'm very excited. Thank you. Thank you. This is Invest Talk. You can get your free InvestTalk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or InvestTalk.com. I am a big fan of your podcast, and I just got started with it. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. The Anytime Listener lines never close. Steve and Justin are waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen Justin. Thank you for the show. I'm a relatively new investor. I uh, opened up an account looking to kind of invest for a longer-term goal, like an investment property or something like that. Based on your show, I know that a large portion of my portfolio should include bonds. And I know everyone likes to call and talk about companies and options and things like that. But I was wondering if you could give me a, a rundown on what bonds you guys like to buy, what I should look for when buying bonds. I know there are a couple different types of bonds, investment grade, corporate bonds, treasuries, things like that. I was also wondering what a junk bond is, if that's uh, just a name for a bond or if that means that it's junk and shouldn't be invested. Appreciate the show, and appreciate you guys answering my call. Listen for it on the podcast. Thank you. Okay, that's that's a lot of lot of answering to do there. First of all, if you're young, we don't recommend bonds. You don't need to be in bonds. It's only when you approach in retirement that you want to take less risk that you start moving toward bonds. And we like you buying the individual bonds, not the bond funds or the bond ETFs. Now, um... Bonds are a whole different animal from stocks, so it's very different. I'll answer the last question there about junk bonds. Okay, investment-grade corporate bonds are triple B plus or higher. That's the rating. There's two rating agencies. I won't get into that. But you want a higher rating bond, investment-grade. Now, triple B plus or better. Now, junk bonds are rated below that. That doesn't mean you can't invest in them. 
They're perfectly fine to invest in. Just realize they are higher risk. Now, it goes from triple B plus to triple B to double B plus to double B to double double B minus and blah, 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 all the way down, okay? So the higher rated junk bonds, most of them are fine. These junk bonds just pay higher a higher yield and the problem we've had in recent times is their yields are not enough to make up for the risk. So stay away from the junk bonds. But it doesn't mean you never invest in them. It doesn't mean that at all. Junk doesn't mean it will go under. But junk bonds have a higher percentage of going bankrupt and not pay the bonds back than investment grade. But still, you still can invest in them. You just got to be careful. Let's go to Steve in Encinitas. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Hey. I'm a financial advisor in Encinitas, and I was wondering what you thought of uh, living benefit riders and variable annuities. That's not something that you like. I'm not big on variable annuities. It's not that I used to work for insurance companies back east uh, for a long time, and variable annuities, uh, my biggest problem with them Mm -hmm. is the expense. Right. The fees are higher than if you buy a mutual fund, and obviously if you buy mutual funds, no load, low fee type deal. Yeah, I'd only buy no-load mutual funds. For, uh-huh. I only suggest that everybody buys no-load funds. And, you know, many, a variable annuity means you get to invest the money in different instruments. Uh, you know, you can do indexing. You can buy whatever you want, whatever they're offering in the fund. But I know the expenses are very high. Uh, and I, I have a problem because a lot of people sell them, sell them to the wrong people. A lot of insurance guys sell them. Remember, I used to be in the insurance business. Right. Sell them to the wrong people. In other words, yeah, you don't and sell. Particularly the, some of the index annuity crowd. If people go out and just sell everybody an equity indexed annuity, yep, is a is a tough one. Just buy oh. the annuity direct yourself. You can avoid yeah. some costs. Yeah. And well, thanks again. Thanks. I appreciate the call, okay. Steve. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. What's up, Steve and Justin? It's Jay calling from Chicago. Just wanted to get you guys' opinion on options. I know this is more of a conservative show, and we don't hear too much about options trading, but I would just like to hear you guys' opinion on um, options trading in this climate. And a follow-up question for that, do you guys trade options um, in your fund, for example? Do hedge fund managers trade options? I'm just trying to get an understanding of who I'm trading up against when I'm executing these type of trades. Look forward to hearing that on the show. Thanks, guys. We have no problem options. One of our program is called Equity Income Plus, and it, 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 it does options. So we, we will do options. Should, I will tell you this. They're more complicated than people think. We like to do covered calls. Okay, we don't want to do naked calls. And a covered call means you own the underlying stock. Naked calls mean you don't under, own the underlying stock, and it's more, it's a bit more risky that way uh, because we like the income options produce. Okay, so no, I, we have no problem with options, uh, but I will warn you that it does take special knowledge and a lot of experience. So be careful with them. Hi, I had a 401k from a previous employer that was automatically rolled over into an IRA. It's just in cash currently. 
and uh, I'd like to move that over to a Schwab or a TD Ameritrade or something and just get a little experience day trading with that money if possible. I've been playing with a little of my personal money in Robinhood accounts. I don't play with my 401k at all. I uh, don't touch that at all. I max out the contribution. Is it possible to day trade with money that was formerly in a 401k? And am I going about this the right way to get experience? I'd love to hear your answer on the show. Thank you. Well, there are sometimes rules around day trading in an IRA, especially if they're under $25,000. So typically look into that with what the uh, the broker's rules are on it. I definitely would move your money away from Robinhood. I don't think anybody should have uh, their money in Robinhood anymore, especially with Schwab, TD, E-Trade, Fidelity, all having commission-free trading. So I would try to consolidate your IRA and brokerage account into to one firm. We use TD Ameritrade, but uh, they're all... Uh, pretty good to definitely make sure they're all CIPIC insured and big. So definitely go uh, uh, with that route. Uh, now day trading, 99 out of 100 people who day trade fail. So your odds of, of failure are very, very high. Uh, if you're going to day trade, uh, start with paper trading. Start making you know real live decisions. Don't look backwards and say, well, what if I did this? Say, okay, I'm going to to say, I'm going to pull the trigger right now. If I did that, my fill would probably be this. Put that down in a spreadsheet and then start paper trading. Okay, I would, pro I would get out here. Put that down. And be honest with yourself as well. Be very, very honest with yourself. And there are actually even uh, paper trading programs out there that you can use. So paper trade first. Find a strategy that you find work works week after week, and frankly, month after month. I would, day, I would paper trade for six months before you do any type of day trading. How about if we go to Don in Coronado? How are you doing, Don? Hey, good, Steve. How are you? Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. No problem. Love your show. Appreciate your help. Uh, if the way you manage people's money, everyone has the same portfolio, yes. what do you, how do you differentiate between those who want a conservative portfolio and those who want a moderate, etc. If everyone's got the same portfolio, just a different number of stocks. Okay, I can answer that question. Well, how we do that is we offer different programs. We have a program called an income program, which is 50% stocks and 50% bonds. So a person who wants less risk, we will hold the bonds to maturity and we are buying only companies that pay high dividends. That is a less risky portfolio than our stock portfolio. So you have pick what category of risk you want to be in based on what programs we offer. Okay. And so everybody in this program, or the stock program, has all the same stocks. Everybody in the income, balanced income portfolio, has the same amount of bonds, same bonds, and stocks in that one. Anybody in the mutual fund program all have the same as everybody else in that program. And you and your partner have the same, you spread your money out across those programs? We put money in each one of those. That's right. We have our own money in each one of those programs. All of the programs we have, we have our own money. So we buy everything at the same time for every client in those programs. I like that aspect of your, uh, of your business. Yeah, I think it's only the right way to do it. We expose ourselves to the exact same, practically all my money's there because I want to be very focused on making sure I make money. Before I give you all my millions, if I wanted to know <laughs> your track record, how could I find that out? Uh, by calling me in the office, uh, we can show you every stock we own. We can show you every stock we purchased in every program and what it has done as far as back as you want to go. Great. And I was kidding about my millions. I'm actually in the military, so I don't have much. But you, uh, You're worth a lot of money, though. Multi-million <laughs> for being in the military. 
Thanks, okay. Steve. Th- thanks, Don. I appreciate it. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm money manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.